the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. EP Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. See, Peter is attributing the death of Christ to what he calls the predetermined plan as well as the foreknowledge of God. In other words, he's saying that Christ's death was no accident. It was something that God determined would happen. And in eternity past, he ordained that it would happen just the way it did. In fact, God made the promise of Jesus' death and resurrection way back in Genesis 3 when he told the serpent in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Don't make the mistake of thinking of the crucifixion as a tragic mistake. It was God's plan from before the foundation of the world. Welcome. You're listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today on Verse by Verse, as we study Peter's Pentecost sermon from Acts chapter 2, Pastor Steve will consider something that none of us really understands. How can we be culpable for Christ's death when it was God's sovereign plan all along? But that's in verse 23. First, let's finish up in verse 22. Here's Pastor Steve. Notice what Peter says to them at the end of verse 22. After telling them of the miracles that God performed through Jesus, Peter says that he performed them in your midst just as you yourselves know. In other words, this wasn't news to them. They were well aware of these miracles because many of them personally saw Jesus do them. And others from distant parts of the Roman Empire, they had heard about Christ's miracles from eyewitnesses. So they weren't ignorant of them. They, they knew all about them. And yet having seen Christ's miracles, they still cried out for him to be crucified. And they rejected him as their Messiah, even when their own scriptures identified him as the Messiah who would do such works amongst them. So how do we explain such unbelief in the face of such overwhelming evidence that Jesus was the Messiah? In fact, I'm often asked, often asked how the Jewish people of Christ's day could have rejected him when they saw these miracles. That's a question that, that often people ask me. And the answer to that question lies in an understanding of the nature of hardened unbelief. The nature of hardened unbelief is to reject Christ and the truth even when faced with great, overwhelming, powerful evidence. The issue is not his miracles, The issue is unbelief, the nature of unbelief. See, Jesus himself really gave the answer to the question of why so many people reject him. He gave it in John chapter 3 when he said that men love darkness. The darkness means their own sin. 
rather than the light. The light means himself. Men love their sin more than him because their deeds are evil. In other words, the reason they refuse to come to him for salvation is because this would mean having their evil deeds exposed, and it would demand then repentance, which is forsaking their sin, and they don't want that. They want to continue in their sin. And so they refuse to come to Jesus Christ regardless of how much evidence there is for believing in him as the truth. In their stubborn refusal to repent, the people of Christ Day rejected the truth about him even though they could not and they did not deny his miracles. Their unbelief defied logic. It can only be explained by the depraved wickedness of the human heart to love its own sin it really had nothing to do with whether Christ's miracles were valid or not listen the people of Christ's day demonstrated this kind of unbelief throughout his ministry they were consistent in this even though they saw him perform these miracles they witnessed it folks they saw him raise people from the dead they saw him heal people there legitimate healings. They saw him multiply food, yet they refused to believe in him. Most refused to believe in him. For example, we read in John chapter 10, verses 37 through 39. If I do not do the works of my father, do not believe in me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Therefore, notice the response, therefore they were seeking again to seize him and he eluded their grasp. Look at my works, he said, and they go to kill him. How about the Jewish leaders? In John chapter 11, starting in verse 45, this is in the context concerning the raising of Lazarus from the dead. There was a man who had been dead for days And the Bible says he stunk. He was dead for days, yet Jesus brought him back. What's the response? We read, therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary, that's Lazarus' sister, and saw what he had done, they believed in him. Well, good for them. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. Now, you would think that the Pharisees would come rushing out, bow down, and adore him and say, the Messiah has come. For what greater miracle could there be than someone come back from the dead? We read, therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council. And we're saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. Notice, they don't deny the signs. They acknowledge it. Here's what they said. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Verse 53 says, so from that day on, they planned together to kill him. That's their response. They acknowledge the miracles, but they said, they'll take away our power our influence. It's all about them. They didn't care about Jesus. They didn't care about the scriptures. They didn't care about the Messiah. But it wasn't only the Jewish leaders who rejected Jesus, even though they acknowledged his miracles, the the multitude of people also rejected him. The general population, though they saw his miracles too. We read in John 12, 17 and 18. So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, They continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. They met him on what is known as his triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem officially declaring publicly that he is the Messiah who has come. But listen, in only a few days, 
Just a few days later, many of these same people would be part of the multitude calling for his crucifixion. Now, just because you were not alive to see Christ perform a miracle, it doesn't mean that his miracles have no application for you. They certainly do. The miracles of Jesus that you read about in the New Testament, they are still designed by God to authenticate that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. His miraculous work still testified to you that God the Father sent Jesus Christ into this world as the Messiah. And you have eyewitness reports. You may not have seen it. You didn't see it. But you have eyewitness reports of his miracles from those who saw them. It's called the writers of the New Testament. So you have no excuse for rejecting Christ. None whatsoever. His miracles ought to cause you to humble yourself and bow before him in submission and worship because they demonstrate his deity. No mere man can walk on water. No mere man can calm a violent storm. No mere man can raise people from the dead. So do what the first disciples did after Jesus walked on the water. You know what they did? They worshiped him. They worshiped him. They said, you certainly are God's son. So believe on him. Worship him. Because his life verifies that he is the Messiah, the way, the truth, and the life. And listen, don't hesitate in witnessing to others and, and telling them about the miracles that Jesus did during his earthly ministry. Christ's miracles make a powerful statement of just who he is. And that's why Peter presented it as his first argument to the crowd standing in front of him. And listen, if your friends, the people you're witnessing to, if they say, well, I don't believe the Bible, use it anyway. It's still God's word. I believe it was, it was uh, Spurgeon who said that it, it's like a lion. They may not believe a lion is going to do anything, but it will. It will when you let it loose. Or someone said, well, it's like it, the Bible's like, like a gun. Someone may say, I don't believe that, that gun is loaded and it's going to do anything to me. It doesn't matter what they believe. If it, the trigger is pulled, it's going to do something. So you use the word of God regardless. It is still God's word whether people accept it or not. Now, Peter didn't stop here. He moved on to make a second statement about Jesus that proves he's the Messiah. First is his life. Secondly is his death. Verse 23, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of God, this means lawless men, and you put him to death. You know, one of the biggest stumbling blocks to Jewish people believing in Jesus as the Messiah Back in the first century, but also today, if you have Jewish friends who you've witnessed to, this is one of the biggest stumbling blocks, is the crucifixion. The reason for this is because Jewish people, those who, who do believe in a personal Messiah, most don't, but those who do, they envision him as a conquering hero, as a warrior, someone who has come to deliver them, not someone who was put to death in such a, a pathetic manner. And, and looks like it's a total defeat, crucifixion. Besides, Deuteronomy 21, 23 said that anyone who was put to death while hanging on a tree, that person is cursed, cursed by God. Therefore, since Jesus died on a cross, which was made of wood from a tree, Jesus was cursed by God. And that doesn't fit. Now, he was cursed in our place, but that doesn't fit the popular view the Jewish view of Jesus as Messiah, cursed of God. 
Now, Peter, knowing exactly what his Jewish, this Jewish crowd in front of him was thinking, he tackles the issue of the death of Jesus by making an, a, a remarkable statement that declares that Christ's death was caused, watch this, by both God and man. Notice how Peter explains the death of Jesus. First, he explains it that it was God, meaning God the Father, who was responsible for Christ's death. He says, being delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Folks, this is a profound statement by Peter. And you will really never understand the true meaning and the purpose of Christ's death until you understand what Peter is saying. He is telling us that although it was Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus by turning him over to the Jewish authorities, who in turn then handed him over to the Roman authorities, who ended up crucifying him, although all of that happened, it was really God who delivered him over to his enemies. God did it. Because Christ's death was God's sovereign and foreordained plan. In other words, it was not only God's will that Jesus would die exactly the way he did, but God predestined it to happen exactly the way it did. See, Peter is attributing the death of Christ to what he calls the predetermined plan as well as the foreknowledge of God. In other words, he's saying that Christ's death was no accident. It was something that God determined would happen. And in eternity past, he ordained that it would happen just the way it did. Listen closely. When Peter says that it was God's foreknowledge that brought about the death of Christ, he doesn't mean, as many people think, that God simply looked ahead and saw how it would happen. It's obvious that God knows everything that's going to happen. You don't even need to say that. It's obvious that God knew that this would happen because he knows everything that happens before it happens. That's not what Peter is saying at all. Because the word foreknowledge carries with it the thought of something being foreordained, something being predestined, which is exactly what other scriptures tell us about Christ's death. It was predestined by God the Father long before it took place. For example, two chapters later, In Acts chapter 4, verses 27 and 28. Now, these are all the believers gathered together. And here's their their prayer to God. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. Christ's death was predestined. Again, we read in 2 Timothy 1.9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus, note this, from all eternity. From eternity past, God had sovereignly determined and ordained that Jesus would die exactly the way he did die, by crucifixion at the hands of Judas, the Jewish leaders, the Roman authorities. Now listen closely, because the point that Peter is making is that Christ's death, far from proving that he wasn't the Messiah, actually proves he is the Messiah. Because his death was ordained by God. And the Old Testament very clearly mentions Christ's death as part of God's plan. Perhaps the clearest statement in the Old Testament is Isaiah 53.10, but the Lord was pleased, it means Jehovah, the Lord God was pleased to crush him. 
putting him to death. Who put him to death? God the Father put him to death. And all of Psalm 22 is about Jesus dying on the cross. It is a perfect, prophetic description of crucifixion many, many years before crucifixion was ever practiced as a form of execution. So the death of Jesus was the Father's doing. He predetermined it. He ordained it to take place just the way it happened. So far from being a defeat, the fact that Jesus died this way proves that he's the Messiah. However, and it is a big however, the fact that Christ's death was sovereignly predetermined and predestined by God to happen exactly the way it did does not in any way excuse those individuals who were involved in the death of Christ. God holds them responsible for their evil. That's precisely what Peter says in the last part of verse 23. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and you put him to death. Listen, even though Peter acknowledges that Christ died the way God sovereignly planned for him to die, he still holds these men who placed Jesus on the cross as responsible for their actions, namely Judas, Jewish leaders, the multitudes of people in Jerusalem who cried out, crucify him, Pontius Pilate, the Roman soldiers, the Roman authorities. So what Peter wants this crowd to understand is that they are culpable in the death of Christ, even though Christ's death was planned and foreordained by God. That does not absolve them of their guilt. They are still held responsible for their actions, which is why Peter says, you nailed Jesus to a cross by the hands of godless men, meaning the Romans. You put him to death. You, you did it. Peter wants them to know that they stand guilty before God, and at the end of his sermon, he's going to tell them that they need to repent and believe on Christ for salvation. They are aghast. They put their own Messiah to death. So what we have here, folks, is an example of one of the great paradoxes in life and one of the deepest mysteries that you'll ever find in the word of God. It is the paradox and the mystery that God is totally sovereign so that his sovereign will is always carried out while at the same time man is totally responsible for his evil actions, even if his actions are the instruments for carrying out God's sovereign will. Frankly, no one understands. No one understands how this works. No one understands how divine sovereignty works with human responsibility. When Charles Spurgeon was asked one day how he reconciled divine sovereignty and human responsibility, he said, I don't because I never reconcile friends. They are friends, but only God understands how they work together. See, only in God's mind can these two truths of sovereignty and human responsibility be reconciled. So listen, don't bother trying to figure it out. The greatest theologians, evangelical conservative theologians, have worked at this, and no one completely understands it. Someone once said, if you try to figure it out, you will end up under your desk repeating the Greek alphabet backwards. I mean, you will be crazy. (laughs) Your mind will go. You cannot reconcile this. What is important, though, is not to reconcile them, these doctrines, but that you accept both of them. Don't dilute either of them, God's sovereignty or human responsibility. Otherwise, you will end up with heresy. Both these doctrines are taught in Scripture. God is completely sovereign, and he always brings about the good pleasure of his will, and he is never tainted with evil, and he never forces anyone to do evil. And yet we are totally responsible for our actions, even when our actions are evil, 
and are used in carrying out God's will. And the reason we're totally responsible for our actions is because it is always our choice to do our actions. No one forces us. God never forces us to do evil. We choose to do evil. Totally of our own volition, we carry out our our evil actions. You know, the perfect illustration in Scripture of this is Judas Iscariot. Listen to what Jesus said about Judas and how responsible the Lord said Judas was for the evil betrayal of him, even though it fulfilled prophetically God's plan. Luke twenty two twenty two, Jesus said, for indeed the son of man is going as has been determined. He's going, he's dying the way that the father determined he would die. But then he said, but woe to that man by whom he's betrayed. But woe to that man. God in eternity past determined the way Jesus would die. That was fixed. And that Judas would be the one to betray Jesus. And yet Jesus pronounced a woe upon Judas because he was responsible. Not, not God forcing him. Judas chose of his own will to do this wicked act. I don't, I don't understand it. I never have understood it. But I believe it. Believe both these doctrines because they are taught in scripture. And each one of us needs to believe this too. Why? Because it means that you understand that you're responsible for the choices you make in life. God holds us responsible regardless of any other consideration. We are all responsible for our choices and decisions. No one can ever blame God for their sin. No one can ever blame God for their unbelief. No one can ever stand before him and justify their rejection of Christ and say to God, well, you didn't make me one of the elect. So what else? No one can ever do that. You're totally responsible for what you do with Jesus Christ. So what will you do with Jesus Christ? I urge you, if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, make sure that your faith is in him for salvation because judgment is coming. If not while you're alive, when you die, judgment is coming. God mercifully ordained the death of Christ so that sinners like us can be saved from judgment, saved from the wrath of God to come for all of eternity. So be saved. Call upon the name of the Lord today and be saved. Turn from your sin. Put your faith in Christ for salvation. And listen, to those, those of us who are believers, may God use these truths to deepen our faith, to deepen our convictions about Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. His miracles prove it. His death proves it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for these powerful words from Peter, which come from you. And we, Lord, we know that these words will fall on deaf ears unless you open our ears to understand that Christ is God, that Christ is Messiah, that Christ is Lord. Lord, I pray for all here that there would be no one here who would see these miracles, believe that they happened, and yet out of hardened unbelief, reject you. I pray that those who are here would deeply consider these truths, would understand that your death, Lord, was determined, and yet we're responsible for what we do with you. May you draw people to yourself. May you open hearts May you turn the light on and draw sinners to be saved. And for those, Lord, those of us who know you, may our faith be deepened. May we not be hesitant to share the gospel with others. 
and to let them know of your perfect life that was characterized by miracles and that your death was no mistake, no accident. You were not a martyr. You gave up your life in fulfillment of the Father's plan. We pray all of this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We can try to illustrate how God's sovereignty and our responsibility work together, but we'll never really understand it, and it won't do to argue against it. Concerning this paradox, Paul said in Romans 9.20, But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? And then Paul goes on to say that God made this plan for his own glory. We're glad you could join us today for Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is leading us in a series of studies from Acts chapter 2 about Peter's sermon on Pentecost. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Find out more at lakesidechapel.com. You can also get information by phone as well as request a free audio CD with Pastor Steve's sermon. Just call 727-441-1714. To get your free CD, ask for Message 12, Peter's Sermon About Pentecost, Part 2. The phone number again is 727-441-1714. I'm short on time, but let me quickly remind you of another website, versebyverseradio.org, where you can listen to previous broadcasts or give online to help us keep Verse by Verse on the air. We thank you for your support. That's versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. On behalf of Pastor Steve Kreloff, thanks for tuning in. We've seen that Jesus proved he was the Messiah by his miracles and by his crucifixion. Of course, If Jesus had stayed dead, he would not have been much of a savior, would he? Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.